Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Business of Design, episode 115. We're calling this one the Never Open Bag, and I am going to let interior designer extraordinaire Lori Steves tell you what that is, but it's something I have as a secret weapon when I go to a client's house, and it's something Lori has as well. I absolutely loved the conversation I had with Lori. First of all, I remember Lori when she was on the cusp. Was she going to continue to pursue a career in design or was she going to get out of it? She was at a fork in the road and I remember it so vividly. It was about 12, 13, 14 years ago now. Whoa, has a lot ever changed? Lori has become one of the leading, most well-known designers in all of Canada. She lives in the beautiful west coast of Vancouver. She's generous, she's kind, and she gives so much back to the community. So I can't say enough nice things about her. In this episode, Lori and I are going to share some of our vulnerabilities and how we ultimately use those vulnerabilities and insecurities to become probably our biggest assets as design professionals and certainly provide a lot of value to our clients. Lori's going to talk in detail about how she gets clarification from clients in terms of their likes and dislikes, and then ultimately how she takes responsibility for what she proposes to her clients. And responsibility is a big theme here as well. She talks about owning projects with 100% responsibility, which is really scary to some of you listening. I know. Trust me, it's so much easier than the other way I used to work. So I think you're going to love listening to Lori Steves. Lori says the seeds of her design career were planted when she was studying English literature and art history in Montreal at McGill University. To pay the bills, she worked at a home design store and somehow these worlds came together. She studied interior design in Ottawa and started her career there as a junior designer. But fate took her to Vancouver when her husband was transferred, and that's where things really took off for Lori. I feel really grateful to have Lori in my life because she puts it right back to me whenever we're having a conversation about business and challenges me to continue to grow and succeed. And she's one of those long-term Business of Design members we always think about as we're creating new content. How can we reach those members who are already mature and already succeeding in a huge way? So super grateful to have Lori in my life. Super grateful Lori's coming to Business of Design's Elite Retreat Santa Monica. And uh, if you want to hang out with Lori and the rest of us, we hope you'll join us as well. Let's check in with Cheryl Horn. Hey, Cheryl, you're going to recognize the person on the podcast today. It's Lori Steves, and I already told everybody she is coming to Santa Monica. So definitely don't sell her spot. (laughs) Yeah, we've got a few that attended with us last year that I'm really looking forward to seeing again because they've signed up to join us again. But then Um, some brand new people who are going to be first time experience with Business of Design. So that's really cool. That kind of mix is wonderful. 
Yeah, it's nice to have some people who have uh, done it before. They know what to expect. And um, a lot of newbies to the retreat, but not new to business of design that I've been you know, talking to for years. That'll be really nice to meet in person. Um, but if you're not signed up, we do still have a few, few spots left. Uh, $2,800 happening October 24th to 27th transformative, I promise. And oh my God, so much fun. So please come with us to Santa Monica for the retreat. I promise we will help you move your business to the next level. And we also have group coaching coming up. Is that right? Yeah. So our next call is on June 26th um, and a little ways off, but I'm really excited. I booked uh, August 20th. It's a Tuesday night, 11 p.m. EST for us, um, but it'll be happening <sighs> August 21st at 1 p.m. Um, for Sydney and Melbourne. For our all our Australian members, they've been asking us uh, for so long to schedule something so that they can attend because okay. they submit their questions in advance. We've had a few of our Australian members actually um, join us on the call, even though it's the middle of the night for them. I know, showing up to those calls in their pajamas. So this is cool. So it's our turn to be in our pajamas and to have a conversation with our Aussies. Of course, anybody's available to join us in that August call, but it's happening at 11 p.m. EST. So we'll do that from time to time, change the Uh, time zone so that members from other places uh, can jump into the call. I've noticed we're getting quite a few new members from the UK, so that's kind of exciting as well. So uh, anyway, we're so glad that we're not alone, everybody. Glad you're there. Yeah, so the next call is coming up on June 26th at our regular time, 1 p.m. EST. So that's the next one. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Cheryl. No problem. Talk to you soon. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Hey, Lori, how are you today? I'm great, thanks, Kimberly. How are you? I'm good. Is it beautiful in Vancouver as always? Oh, I'd like to say yes. There's a bit of rain today. Oh, well, we got to take the good with the bad, right? Yes. I loved a conversation that we had at High Point. We ended up going out for dinner uh, one night at Printworks, and I think Christy Liu was also there. Yes. And you mentioned in passing the never open bag. And I knew immediately what you were talking about. And right then and there, and I think we'd had a couple glasses of wine, we said, we have to do a podcast about the never open bag. <laughs> right. Well, I thought it was a great idea because um, what that what the, the do not open bag represents to me is... Um, it's that little secret weapon that gives me the confidence to stick to my plan of what I want to show the client, um, you know, and not, not be afraid to really 
just put it out there I because I know that I have this secret weapon in my bag that's that's you know some alternative options maybe something a little safer um yeah more palatable for the client if I'm showing them something something that I know is going to be beyond their comfort zone. So just for anybody who's confused, just tell everybody what the do not bag is, and then let's talk about what it actually represents, which is huge. So what is the do not open bag? Uh, the do not open bag is a, a bag that we pack when we're preparing for a presentation. Uh, Cause we actually right now do most of our presentations at the client's home. Uh, we're, we're shifting that, but for now that's, that's working for us. And uh, so as we pack up for our presentation, we have this one bag and I, and I tell my assistant Taryn that, okay, this is the do not open bag. And this is where I put the uh, close second choices, the, um, the, the safe beige options, the things that, that, you know, didn't make the final cut, but that in a pinch, I know I could pull in uh, if the client sees something and just says, whoa, that's no, that's not me. And we, we somehow, you know, show them something a little too um, out there or adventurous for their taste. Uh, I mean, I do like to let that sit with them for a minute before immediately pulling out the do not open bag. And I, and we often leave it in the car um, so that it's more of a, an ordeal if we have to go get it. So that forces me, these are the tactics I use to force myself into complete confidence in my scheme. Um, And so I, I keep it in the car and if the client just reacts in a way that I think I'm not going to be able to push them or convince them that this is the right thing, I know that I have the security of those options in my back pocket that I can pull out um, if I need to. It's so funny. We never labeled ours. It didn't have a name, but we have a do not open bag or a never open bag, which we now call it. (laughs) And exactly that. In the event you show them a raspberry sofa and they go, what? I couldn't possibly do raspberry. I can say, I was afraid you might say that. So here's another option in a neutral fabric. And I've covered myself. But the goal of the do not open bag is to not open the bag, right? That's right. (laughs) That's right. And I, and I try, that's, I, I've really had to, you know, struggle to get to this point where it's not, my first inclination is to immediately go to it and show them, oh, you know, this is, this is what we were, uh, you know, thinking alternatively. Now I just try to sit there in silence for a, a minute and let it, you know, kind of sink in with the client. And sometimes they actually talk themselves into something right in front of you, (laughs) which is great. So I I let that process happen. And if I see that there's continued resistance, sometimes I'll just skip over. I'll say, well, we don't have to make this decision now. Let's look at the rest of the scheme and then we'll come back to this. And if we come back to it and there's still great resistance and discomfort, I I try to probe a bit about what that's about. And if I see that it's really becoming a, a contentious issue, then I'll I'll go, I'll send Taryn, I'll say, well, we have a couple of other things that we could consider. Um, I'm going to send Taryn to go get those and and we can look at that. That's really like the last resort. Such a good point though, to allow them to just sit with it because I've seen the same thing where the initial reaction is, oh, that's too avant-garde for me. That's too modern. That's too edgy. That's too whatever. And then 10 minutes later, after you've moved on to the rest of the room, they'll sort of say, 
I can see how that fits now. Hmm. Let me think about it. I'm going to think about that. And, you know, more times than not, they'll turn around and say, you know what, let's do it. If you think that's the right choice, let's do it. But having that do not open bag at my side, because we bring it in, it just kind of sits there. It doesn't get opened. But having it at my side gives me so much confidence. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. That's really what it is for me as well. Let's talk about what it represents though, because to get to the point where you have a do not open bag, there's a whole lot of things that have to happen. Yeah, that's true. So, well, what I found is that when I, when I, was early on in this industry, um, I, I would get so excited when I was starting a project. Like I'd be looking at all the options and, and it's like the world is your oyster at that point. You're, you're, you're just thinking, well, we could do this, we could do that. And I think my own excitement was just overwhelming me to the point that I was having trouble narrowing down. And I, I didn't want to limit the client's options. I wanted to them to see all the possibilities and how, how exciting this industry is. And, and after a while, what I realized is that basically this would leave the client feeling confused um, and feeling, you know, very worried that I didn't have a strong vision and that I wasn't guiding them in the way that they had hoped, uh, because I mean, they hired me for, for the, my opinion and my expertise. And I wasn't confidently showing them that I knew that this would be the right thing for them. And so it was, it was very, um, it was very opening when I realized that people want to be guided. That is exactly, I'm not pushing them into something. I am guiding them into what I've what I feel is best for them based on all the information that I've collected, uh, in advance. And, uh, and I didn't want to show a lack of confidence or guidance on my part anymore. And, and that's where this do not open bag kind of factored in and helped me. Right. Um, point. Did you have the same experience I did where, and, and I am not the sharpest knife in the drawer apparently, because this happened to me for years before the penny dropped, the clients would say to me, well, which one would you pick? Which one do you like? If it was your house, which one would you want to have? And yeah, and I just, you know, part of it is, yes, I wanted to show them all the many possibilities. That's true. But for me, if I'm being really honest, there was also a part where I was just afraid to make a decision. What if I make the wrong decision, a bad decision? Oh, I totally own up to that feeling as well. I mean, it wasn't just that I was excited. It was certainly that I thought, well, if I only show them one sofa, what if they don't like it, they get it and they don't find it comfortable or whatever. And I just, I I internalized that so much that I wasn't able to you know, come to that decision with confidence. And so, yes, I, and I've had that, you know, many times where the client would say, you know, well, what would you do? Which one do you like better? And, um, that was really what brought me to the point of realizing that they are looking for my guidance. They do need that reassurance that this is the right thing. It's funny. It took me years. As I said, I hope there are people listening, designers, decorators, architects listening who 
are new and won't take years, who will just have the courage to make the selection right off the bat. And you know what? You might make a selection that isn't perfect. You might. Uh, And you won't die and you'll learn something and you'll never make that bad decision again. When often the client won't even know or realize, you know, we, we're so uh, invested in our ideas, I think, sometimes that I know every time I do a project installation, there is something that I think, oh, I could have done this better. I should have picked that instead of that. But honestly, the client is so happy and they have no idea what the other options were because I didn't show them to them. So, so you know, it's uh, it, it's really, we have to get out of our own way, I think. Yeah. Um, we're, we're really just, we're our own worst enemy. I have the exact same feeling at the end of every project. I wish I had done this instead of that over there. It would be perfect if only I had done the following thing. And I've since talked to so many artists, painters, photographers. They all feel that way all the time, every time they finish something. And we would have no art um, and no applied art of design if people didn't have the courage to just let it go and let it be and let the client have an experience with what you created. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's very true. And I, I have to say that what really helps me get through that that phase and, and that sort of um, not regret, it's certainly not regret, just, oh, could have, should have, would have, um, is my assistant is always right there beside me saying, what are you talking about? This looks amazing. And anybody else on site is like, I don't know what you're thinking. This is great. You know, and, and it's, it's really just in our own heads a lot of time. Yeah, truly it is. There is so much insecurity in this business when you're starting out. And the truth is that insecurity can stay with you for a decade or longer. It certainly stayed with me. What do you think makes a difference to people listening who are still afraid to make those choices. What do you think could tip them into having the courage to just make those hard decisions? Well, I think for me, what was necessary, and and hopefully this could be the case for others, is that I needed to know that I did the background work at the outset to really get the information needed to be able to proceed with one clear concept. Um, You know, and I I learned through coaching that I'm an implementer. Um, So often there there are several stages when you're going through a a process. And often I was would be the type to jump to the implementation. I was so concerned about getting the job done, getting it finished, every detail in place that I would I would rush through that initial process of fact finding and information gathering. And I'd find myself working on a project and really struggling because I I was missing such key big pieces of information that I would have really needed to make the right choice. And that's when you start wavering and, oh, well, maybe I should do, you know, have this other option over here and develop a whole second scheme. And well, that is because you you clearly don't have all the information that you need and you're not feeling confident in knowing that this is what will be best for the client because you're, you, you don't know, uh, some key piece of information. And oftentimes I was too afraid to go back and ask for clarification at a later stage 
because it made, I felt it would make me look like I was unprepared. I didn't do my job at the beginning, which was in fact the case. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't want to admit it. So I would plow on and I would develop, you know, two full separate schemes in case I missed the mark. If there's one thing that I would tell people who are starting out, it's that they really need to focus on that initial information gathering stage and clarifying with the client, um, asking a lot of questions. And we've developed a whole series of processes around this to, to help me make sure that I obtain all the information that I need to be able to move forward, uh, on, on a, you know, one comprehensive design concept, uh, that is going to meet all these needs that I've established from the beginning. I really think you hit the nail on the head. If we don't take time at the beginning to thoroughly understand what the aim is in terms of style and function, et cetera, we're going to have all these questions at the end, which is why we're so obsessive and we have all these checklists that help us when we're, for example, doing uh, the consultation or doing trade day. These checklists will remind me to verify, does the client have a choice uh, in terms of a pull-down faucet for the kitchen or does she want a standard non-pull-down faucet for the kitchen? Such small things, but when I go to make those selections, if I don't know the answer, I'm in trouble, right? I'm going to have to give two or three choices to cover myself. So I think slowing down at the beginning, and we always tell clients we are extremely top heavy on projects. We do a lot of the heavy lifting at the beginning, which will translate into money saved at the back end because trades won't have an excuse to pause, stop, delay, you know how that happens, right? Like the contractor says, oh, the toilet's not here today. So I have to send my team over to another project and we'll be back in two weeks when it's ready. And then, right. And that that is a little game that tradespeople play with clients. And I tell clients, sure, you can hire your own trades, but here's how they play. Um, We won't do that. We'll make sure we have ordered everything and it's on site and ready before the trade asks for it. So there cannot be a delay, a legitimate delay. Um, yes, but it's about slowing down, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's um, it's about not bulldozing to that finished product because if you miss things along the way, you're you're just not going to get there. What are your techniques then when you are at the presentation and you've done all this work? And I, you're probably, I feel like we're so similar, but I know for me, when I'm just about to open my mouth and begin the presentation, there's a part of me that goes, "Oh my gosh." I hope I've done this right, right? There's just like that performance anxiety kind of. And then once I I get going, it's great. But there is that moment right before you open your mouth, right? Definitely. I mean, I'll tell you, as I'm driving in the car and I'm about to arrive, I I still get butterflies every time. And, uh, And I think that's actually gotten almost worse since I've gone to the really one concept uh, because there's there's that much more chance that there could be some rejection. <laughs> you know, it yeah. is scary. It is scary. But, you know, nine times out of 10, uh, even maybe more than that, things go exceptionally well. And, you know, we've listened to the client and it, what we show them, they, they say things like, you know, I feel like you've read my mind. I didn't even know I wanted this, but now I see how much I do and you know, things like that. And then you just 
it, everything else falls away and you realize, okay, well, you know, this is what it's all about. There are all kinds of things that we do to prevent us from being in that uncomfortable situation of having to make those big decisions. And one of the things I heard when I was in Australia from several of the designers there is they don't do the presentation like you and I do uh, and like we teach at Business of Design where we present everything at once. What they do is they do a midway kind of, hey, am I on the right track half presentation? Mm. And in every single case where someone shared that, they initially started sharing it as if that's how you have to do it. You can't do it. You can't do it any other way. And by the time we finished talking about it, all three acknowledged that that's where their projects fall apart and break down and where the client loses confidence in them. So in fact, what they were doing is they're looking for affirmation and validation as they are making these hard choices. And it sets up in the client a fear, which is what you said right at the beginning, that you're not sure of a direct path. And if you're not sure, oh my gosh, maybe they've hired the wrong person. Yes. Yeah. And I, I remember us talking about this and uh, I was I was surprised to hear that so many people do that intermediate step. I've, I've never done that myself, um, I guess, because I felt it was doubling up on my work, uh, you know, to prepare something. And when it's not a complete picture, there's that much more chance that people won't really get it at that point. And so absolutely, I just don't think it works. Um, Yeah, so that's not, that's certainly not something that I would recommend. No, I've tried that. Um, And I, you know, I have to be honest and say I tried it because I I wanted the client to tell me I was on the right path path. I was on the right track. I was nervous and anxious about what I was doing. So the client can pick up on that, right? Um, And in fact, when I first started out, it wasn't just a midway point presentation. It was like 28 meetings to get to 90% done, right? Now I'm like, no, no, don't wear the clients out. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yesterday, uh, I got a call from a senior designer who's working for me. She was on a job site and she had picked up these different samples of glass, Reeded glass, see-through glass, semi-opaque glass, fully opaque glass, and there were about nine samples. And she said, "Do you want me to just leave them here for the client to look at?" And no. <laughs> right, I almost had a heart attack. I'm like, "What's the matter? Did you hit your head?" Like, of course not. Like, you don't leave the client nine samples. She goes, "Oh, I know, I know. I I realized after I you know said that and it you know." that you were never going to go for that. So she said, I narrowed it down to these two. She sent me pictures. We had a conversation about it. We narrowed it down to the one we want. But, you know, don't wear out the clients. Don't wear them out with endless decisions and justify it by saying that it's for the client, in the client's best interest. No, I don't think that it's definitely not in the client's best interest. What's in their best interest is to be shown the the one best option. And, uh, you know, if there's major, major resistance, you might have an option too that you could propose, but, you know, in the do not open bag. But <laughs> other than that, it's, you're not doing yourself any favors. Oh my God. So good. Okay. Do you have any techniques for getting the clients to say yes to the things you proposed? You shared one already, which is even when there's resistance, hold your ground let, mm-hmm. Let's see what happens. Wait it out. And I know for sure if there's resistance to something and I think it's instrumental 
key, important, critical. I'll fight for it. I'll go to bat for it. Um, Mm -hmm. If I don't think it's you know, critically important, then I can let it go and I can pull something out of the do not open bag. But what other techniques do you have for getting clients to say yes? Um, well, I would say that I, I really follow, um, what I learned in a, in a great business of design course about the presentation, successful presentations. And that, that is that I, I get their buy-in every step of the way that has been so critically key for me to, you know, coming to the end of the presentation with kind of a resounding yes, um, is by getting the little yeses along the way. So, you know, really engaging them, every item that you show them, you, you know, describe its qualities and why it was chosen. And then you, you know, ask them some questions. What, you know, what do you think about that? How do you feel about this color, you know, just getting their feedback and, and, you know, often they'll be like, Oh, I just love that. That's beautiful. And so this basically, when you get to the end, they've already said yes to everything or 90% of, of things. And, and you're able to, you know, close the the meeting with a successful yes. Um, But what if what you present is more expensive than they had hoped? Uh, well, I mean, that's always the case, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, yes. That not happen? 100% of the time. I'm so yeah. happy you said that. Like, I love this woman. You need to be teaching for business of design. 100% of the time, what we <laughs> present to them doesn't match their budget because their budget's made up number. It's an airy, fairy, hopeful thinking number, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, if, if there's, if there's great resistance to the number and again, you've got to use the shut up and wait, you know, sort of technique of, of, uh, letting, cause again, people sometimes will talk themselves right into it before your eyes. Uh, but if that doesn't happen and there's continued resistance again, usually in the do not open bag, I will have the more sort of budget, friendly options that will we places where I feel that I'm willing to cut back uh you know for instance maybe I'm showing a $1,500 table lamps for their living room and when we get to the end of the living room and I give them the the total cost uh they say okay well wow that's you know, that's a lot more than we expected. And then I wait and then they, you know, sort of muddle amongst themselves about it for a while. And then finally, if, if they continue to say, look, we just, our, our hard number is this, and we've got to get down to to that number to feel comfortable. Then I'll say, well, one place where I feel we could compromise is on these lamps. Now you loved these lamps. They are one of the more expensive items in the project. Uh, and, um, I've looked at this alternative and then you, you show them the, the, you know, $800 alternative or whatever. And they look at it and they just kind of stare at it for a while. (laughs) And then they, they realize, okay, they say, well, something like, is there anywhere else we could cut? And, uh, (laughs) so then you go to your list of things that, you know, maybe could be compromised on and off more often than not, people end up uh, coming around to the things that they 
loved from the beginning and the better, nicer things. Um, So that, that's, I mean, that's just, that happens in every, almost every presentation, I would say. Yeah, that that's true. So be prepared, everybody. A hundred percent of the time, the client will give you a number and it's not going to be actually the cost of things. And don't panic. That's okay. I just think my job is to price what they want, not to find inexpensive, poor quality items that match the number they want. No, exactly. Because ultimately that's not what they want. They, they, they think they want to spend this and and maybe they do want to spend this, but in order to get what they really want, they're just going to have to spend more and, uh, and they'll come to that point. And if they don't, then like I say, you bring out your, your B options and they often don't get selected in the end. (laughs) So true. Lori, you know, we like to end every episode with design intervention. What have you been thinking about? Well, I knew this question was coming. Um, and I, I went back to, um, 2007, 2008, when I took my first business of design three day seminar Mm -hmm. and, I think it was, <laughs> it, it was kind of, um, well, sort of at the midway point through my career so far. So I started in 2000 in this business and, uh, yeah, I've been at it a very long time. Um, and I am a slow learner. This goes back to something you said earlier about, you know, I, I had to do this several times and I, I always say, I'm such a slow learner. Why is this happening to me again? <laughs> I should have remembered from last time. And, um, anyway, so I, so in, uh, I moved to Vancouver in 2007. So I had my business up and running in Ottawa for, um, seven years by then. And, uh, my husband got transferred out here. And when we moved out, I, I was pregnant and I really questioned, cause I was, I was all those, um, what are the, it's like, you have the seven dwarfs of, uh, uh of <laughs> bitter, like, angry, resentful. Yeah. yeah. Medicated. So, yeah. <laughs> I was all those things. Um, and, and really questioning whether, you know, given my situation that I would have to literally start from nothing again, uh, was I prepared to go through all this and, and, like a beacon of hope, (laughs) I saw in, I don't know, a magazine or somewhere that there was this business of design, um, seminar happening. And I, I signed up right away and I thought, you know, if this doesn't do it, then I'm out. So (laughs) I signed up and I went to the seminar and I, I met you for the first time and, and listened to everything that was said. And, uh, the, the thing that hit me the most is that you said that, Whatever situation you find yourself in with a client or on a job site or what have you, whatever's going wrong, you are 100% responsible for creating that situation. You have to take on that responsibility and say, what have I done? to what, what was my role in getting myself here? And that was like the biggest, uh, like literally my mind was blown. And I just thought like, I was really resistant to the idea at first. Like, this can't possibly be my fault. Like, these people are crazy. They're so <laughs> demanding. And, but I'm really a person who listens to advice and, and thinks about what someone said to me. And I guess I just, it really resonated after a while that 
wow, you know, a lot of those situations that I was in, I was the cause. I put myself there. And, and the good news about that and what's really empowering is that if you've put yourself there, then you have the power to change it. You can do something to fix it. So now every time something goes wrong, I just immediately, my default is, what is my role in this? How did I lead us to this point? Um, and often what happens is a whole series of systems will come out of this event, um, you know, and okay, we're not going to be back here again, because this is a terrible feeling. So what do we have to do to prevent it? Well, we need to be more clear on this. And we need this document and this form and whatever, you know, comes from it. So instead of playing the blame game and complaining about your clients and, and, you know, the situation and not enough budget and all these things, you just really need to look inward at what you can do to set the right expectations, to make sure people are properly prepared. Um, And, you know, once you get over blaming others for your situation, that that's just, it's so huge. And it's such a growth opportunity. So thank you. Wow. Oh my gosh. So good. You hit the ball out of the park that, you know, you really did. This conversation, I think, has been targeted and instructive. And uh, I think a lot of listeners are going to be loving every single thing you said. You guys should all follow Lori on social media. On Instagram, you're simply home decorating. That's right. Same thing on Facebook. Yes. And your website also, simplyhomedecorating.com. Lori Steves in Vancouver. Everybody reach out and say hello. This is one to watch and an amazing friend, an amazing mentor, and such a huge supporter of Business of Design. I can't thank you enough. I just feel like every time I go for dinner, you just charge me up with some new idea or thought. And so thank you for helping us label the never open bag or the do not open bag. Well, you're welcome, Kimberly. I I mean, I, I feel like I should be the one thanking you. Thank you for being a part of the Business of Design community. If you love what you hear on the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, you'll gain access to Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy, a free introductory course which includes three Business of Design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a Business of Design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.